you're about to hear a true story of someone who has taken life's lemons and made lemonade. I am Heidi, your host, and thank you for joining me. Phil, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so excited to meet you and get to know you. So start out by telling me just a couple of little things about yourself. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Heidi. I'm certainly excited to be here. Uh, some things about myself. So I was born and raised in New York. I'm the youngest of three sons. Um, I'd say I was growing up, I was a bit of a, a bit of a wild child, got into you know, probably a lot more trouble than most during my adolescent years, but finally grew up in, in high school. I like to say that growing up, my life experience is really similar to Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. My dad was born in the Bronx and my mom born in Brooklyn. I grew up kind of upper middle class, but not rich, but certainly not poor. Um, and my rich dad was my best friend's father, an immigrant from Egypt that came to the United States with nothing and just became really successful scientist. He invented, I don't know if you remember, Banaka mouth spray and yeah. colored contact lenses. And he owned several side businesses, one of which I started working for at the age of 12. Um, so my dad kind of taught me how to how to be street smart. And my rich dad really taught me how to think and how to never take no for an answer and that there's always a way. I married my high school sweetheart in my mid twenties. We were married for four years, had our first and only child in January of 2001. Probably say that that would be the happiest day of my life. Cause I know I always wanted to be a father. Um, but you know, not everything lasts. That's good. Lasts forever. We were divorced about three years later. Um, and now I'm currently living in San Diego. Um, I do motivational speaking and post-traumatic growth, uh, growth coaching, married to an amazing woman, and I'm just loving life. Yay. That's a lot in just your introduction. So I've learned so much <laughs> about you. I appreciate that. So I've got to know there's a lemon to lemonade story, obviously, here and why you're doing what you're doing. So take me back. Tell me your story. Sure. So my lemon part of the story, uh, in short, is on July 24th, 2015, my 14-year-old son and his close friend were last seen leaving the Jupiter Inlet on a 19-foot fishing boat. Uh, there was a really bad storm. And if you know anything about South Florida, so the Jupiter Inlet is in Jupiter. And in South Florida, there's these really fast moving storms that just pop out of nowhere. And they'll last for maybe five, 10 minutes and they go away. Um, so one like that, you know, carrying heavy rains and um, winds of 40 miles an hour came out of nowhere. After several attempts to reach the boys via their cell phone um, and unsuccessful attempts, the Coast Guard was notified, which led to one of the, if not the largest Coast Guard search in the history of the United States Coast Guard. The search lasted seven excruciating days. Unfortunately, neither one of the boys were ever found and exactly what happened at sea that day still remains unclear. So that was about six and a half, almost seven years ago and it definitely went through my my grieving process, which was basically being curled up in a dark room on the floor because I really had no idea what I was supposed to do. I, you know, there is no preparation for these kinds of things. There's no playbook or here's you know something you'd never expect to ever happen. Um, and 
I had no idea what to do to the point where I actually Googled how to grieve. And if you Google grief, you'll find that the five stages of grief kind of dominates that whole search topic and has for decades. So when I saw denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, for me, I felt the sense of pressure, like I was doing something wrong because I didn't experience grief like that. Um, so that lasted, I'd say, for a good year and a half of just indescribable amounts of pain. I, I would say I would always consider myself prior to that a blessed man in that I never lost anybody that I loved before. So I, I didn't I didn't even have any frame of reference. I didn't even have some sort of a trail to follow. So when all of a sudden I lost the most precious person in my life, I was just completely devastated. Yeah, that's a lot. That is that is probably the worst grief anyone could ever go through. I I'm so sorry. That is that is a lot to handle. And I'm sorry you weren't getting the answers you needed. And that you yeah. had to kind of navigate this by yourself. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it, it was, it was difficult. I, you know, I eventually did seek counseling, you know, so I did talk therapy, EMDR therapy. Um, I tried a lot of things, yoga, meditation. And for me, none of those things really worked. Um, but what finally, one of the things, one of the many things that, that got me to at least take that first step was, um, about a year and a half after the whole incident, in one of those moments where I'm on the floor, curled up in a ball, I, I heard my son. You know, sometimes I say that I saw him, but I'm not sure that I did. You know, maybe it was an apparition. Maybe, you know, I'm just, it's been a while, so maybe I'm second guessing myself, but I definitely heard his voice. And he said to me, Get up, dad it's enough. Like, it's okay. And I'll see you when you get here. And it was, he's, my son's natural state was one of laughter and excitement. And on the way to school, um, we would always listen to this podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with John Lee Dumas's podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, when they would interview, interview, you know, different entrepreneurs on the verge of actually doing something great. And, you know, they would always say that they were fearful, but they just wanted to follow their passion, what they were really meant to do. And the message that I was trying to get across to him was to not just get a job to make money, to think about, you know, what you love and to be able to pursue those things. So in that moment, when he came to me and the message that he delivered was almost like frustration on his point, like, all right, dad, get up already and go live your life with passion like you always told me to do and i'll see you when you get here um and that you know took me out of a, a lot of guilt worthlessness um you know i could i feel like I, as a father i wasn't able to protect my son um a lot of shame and his message to me was to give myself permission to heal and from that point, I started to use post-it notes and I'd stick them in places where I'd see them every day on, in my car, or my refrigerator, or my bathroom mirror. And I'd write things like, I give myself permission to heal. And over time, instead of you know, running from the memories and the reminders, 
I be, became connected to them. And, and, you know, the only way that I was really truly able to begin from, to begin to heal from really, I, I, I've tried to put the pain into words, like what I felt, but it's almost indescribable, um, was to stop running from it, you know, to acknowledge that this is what happened. You know, it, it's, it, I knew it wasn't my fault, but as a father, you, you know, you do anything to save your child and as a mother as well. Um, but I was blaming myself, you know, and his message to me was just, it's okay. Give yourself permission to heal. He's like, so that really helped me a lot. That was a turning point in my life to be able to say, okay, I'm going to give myself permission to heal. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the turning point from there. And now, you know, my seven, almost seven years later, I'm in the process of writing a book um, called Becoming the Buffalo, you know, really ultimately helping people who have been through some sort of trial, tragedy, or um, major life transition, some post-traumatic growth, you know, to hope in an effort to give them ways of what I did, the actual steps that I took to go from complete despair to now living a life that I couldn't possibly imagine. Wow, that's a beautiful gift. That's an amazing thing. You've been able to do that and turn that around. I just keep hearing his little get up, dad. I just think that's a miracle that you had that experience and that it was able to motivate you the way it did because I really think our deceased loved ones would be doing that. I think they'd just be like, oh, come on, don't, don't be sad, don't be laying there, don't be wasting your life away because you miss me. Like, that's great, you miss me, that's awesome, but get on with it, you know? I just think we're not doing them any service and I just love that you really had that opportunity to, to feel that and, and experience that. That's a beautiful thing. You're so blessed. So I've got to know then, like, what are you doing? Like, as part of your lemonade, then like, what happened? What was the process to go through that grief then? You know, I, after trying to think about how I actually did it, it really comes down to three things and, um, and then sub steps to those three things. The three things are, you know, recognizing, reframing, and then reacting. Um, so ultimately, you know, I needed to recognize what had happened, you know, I mean, I would do anything to get my son back, but he's not coming back. So, you know, at, at some point, you know, we should all grieve. There's, there is no, hey, this horrible thing happened and just kind of get on with it. The grieving process and, and sitting in it and the crying and the sharing, you know, is was very, very helpful. And, you know, to any of the men listeners out there, you know, I think it's, you know, we've always grown up in the culture. I'm, I'm going to be, I just turned 50. So I grew up in the whole, you know, eighties, nineties, where we're basically brainwashed to believe that real men don't cry or we don't share our emotions or we don't seek therapy. And all that is just complete BS because it was just, it was the sharing and it was crying with the people that I love and even people that I'd never met before who shared their story with me. And, and the more I talked about it and the more I, I didn't run from it, that's where a lot of the healing came from. And, you know, the reframing part and the reacting part are ways. If you're willing to look for the positive things in any negative things that happen, you will find them. And, Although, like I said, I would, I would do anything to have my son back. However, through that experience, I learned what God created me for. 
You know, I know what I'm on this earth to do. And it's ultimately to help other people, really. It's to help other people. And I, you know, I, I found that I was really, really good at it. And I wasn't trying to be good at it. I just found that people who've come to me and their grief, um, and you said something like, you know, that's one of the hardest things to go through. And I, and I, I agree. I think, I think, you know, a lot of medical professionals would agree that losing a child, especially without answers, um, is one of the most difficult things to go through. However, um, through this experience, I've been able to deliver a TEDx um, about transforming grief. I've been interviewed in a Wall Street Journal article. And the woman who was interviewing me for the Wall Street Journal article was doing it partly for herself because she had recently lost her father. And I and we had this long conversation before before she posted the article. And I can tell that this woman loved her father. I mean, she loved, this was a man that was, you know, not an idol, but someone that she really looked up to and she had a really close relationship with. And after she posted the article, somebody in the comments said something like, losing your father is nothing compared to losing a 14-year-old. And you know what? I mean, I understand why would somebody would say that, but I disagree in that, you know, Pain is pain, yeah, you know, exactly. people's grief is, is, is it, it could be just as painful for her as it was for me. It's almost like trying to compare a bee sting and getting bitten by something. I mean, they're both painful, but they just hurt in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I hate it when people say that, <laughs> you know, it's like grief is grief. Loss is loss. Like it doesn't, everybody's first question, were you close with them? Well, what does it matter? I just lost a loved one. Like, whether I'm close to them or not. And yes, we, you losing a child, everybody can relate to that as being like the worst thing. You don't get to watch them grow up and experience things. And so it tends to have that like score of a, of a harder thing. And then losing a parent, you don't have the future with that person either. So there's still loss no matter what. And so I love that you bring that up. Like loss is loss. And there are different, there are different levels. I get that. But uh, we can relate to each other so much whenever we've experienced loss. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's so true. Yeah, you know there, are, and there are just you know there are countless stories of of men men and women who faced unimaginable horrors, right? From the death of a loved one to wrongful imprisonment, imprisonment, uh, debilitating illness, and worse, and yet who've managed to rise from the ashes to greatness. You know, and like diamonds, you know they were transformed by the immense pressure. And these individuals have found a way to turn their weakness into their strength. They took what would have destroyed most of us and used it to propel them to greatness. Their storms became their fuel for the blaze that was their calling. And that's a very similar situation that's happened to me. And, you know, in this book that I'm writing, I've really done my best to discover and understand and then eventually publish those journeys to be able to give insights and tricks to help other people. Yeah. Taking lemons yeah. and making lemonade. That's what it is. It, it it seems so cliche and simple, but there's some amazing people out there who have done incredible things with what they've been given in life and they're inspiring. So I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah. So becoming the Buffalo, um, you know, the, the reason why is the fact is that, you know, all of us experience storms, right? And the only choice is how we, the only choice that we have is how we respond to them. Okay. Um, and one of my mentors helped me understand this by sharing a story about where he grew up 
near the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Now in Colorado is one of the only places in the world where both buffaloes and cows can coexist. And there's a fantastic lesson that can be learned by how each of these animals responds to those storms. So when the storms come, both the animals can feel them coming. And they almost always brew from the west and roll towards the east. In cows, they can sense the storm coming and what they begin to do is to run east to get away from the storm. The only problem is that if you know anything about cows, you know that they're not very fast. So the storm catches up to them rather quickly. And without knowing any better, the cows continue to try and outrun the storm. But instead of outrunning it, they run with it, maximizing the amount of time, pain, and frustration that they experience from that storm. And it's been my experience, both from myself and a lot of the people that I've spoken to, that we all kind of do the same thing, right? We spend so much of our lives trying to avoid the inevitable trials, tragedies, and transitions that come along with difficult circumstances. But what buffaloes do is quite unique to the animal kingdom. Buffaloes wait for the storm to cross over the crest of the mountaintop. And as the storm rolls over the ridge, they turn and they charge directly into the storm. They run at the storm. And by running at the storm, they run right through it, minimizing the amount of time, pain, and frustration they experience from the storm. But notice that it's the same storm. And I just think it's such an excellent metaphor for all of us, because although we're all in different places in life, we all have storms. The question is, you know, most of us aren't born buffaloes. Most of us are born cows. So how do you go from the cow to the buffalo? And so that's ultimately what my book is, is the, this take talks about the steps that I've taken and breaking them down to like what not only I've done, but after talking to countless people and looking and reading biographies of people that have been through things and trying to figure out what is it about these people that can make them face the storm and run through it and putting it down in a book. And my hope is that even if it does help one person, you know, that it's really worth it, but I think it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like it's something we need. Wow. This is amazing. You are so inspiring. I love this. What a great analogy with the buffalo and the cows. Like, I'm just wondering myself, like, oh, I think I'm the cow. I'm just trying to run away from it. <laughs> but you got to just turn and head into it and get through it. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, great visual. At some point, we have to, right? I mean, this is like, you know, like I said, you know, one horrible thing happened. And I know you shared a couple of things with me that have happened to you. Um, and you know, at some point it becomes a choice, right? It becomes a choice. Absolutely. Do we want to live there or not? Absolutely. You know, yep. so take your time to grieve, to feel it, do what you have to do. And then, you know, just like my son Perry told me to get up, I'm sure whoever you lost or whatever you lost would tell you to get up too. So at some point you have to actually get up and do something about it. Mm. I always think of it as marinating. I always say the word, I'm like, we can sit and marinate in it. And that's great, you know, go ahead. But how long are you going to do that? Like there needs to be a point where you go, okay, I need to get up now. I need to get on with my life. And I always picture my loved one as someone cheering, cheering me on and just happy that we're happy. They do not want us to be miserable. That is not serving them at all. And we think it right. is. We think it's how we show our love for them. 
is by being sad that they're gone. And I get that. That's where our brain goes. It wants to honor them and be sad. We can't live without them. But I've realized now if I was the one gone, I wouldn't want my family to be sad and mope around about it. I'd want them to live their lives and move on and be happy, find joy and peace and comfort. Exactly. And I think sometimes, you know, our grief can eventually be how we choose to honor and respect the ones that we love, right? Because we know, I know my son would not want me to live that way. So I felt like I'm going to get up and I'm going to live a life that would make him proud, you know? So that's what I'm using. I'm using my grief, you know, to make something good of something that's so horrible. The biggest thing is, you know, my whole reason for being here, you know, I, I don't have anything to sell. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking anybody to buy anything, um, you know, is really just to inspire hope. You know, um, I, I'm Christian by faith, you know, and I, you know, I know that God is going to use my story and he's going to use the power that I found through him and his grace to help other people. And I think that, um, you know, to anybody out there that's going through something, just know that it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And it ultimately where it's all about what you're focusing on. Right. So, so in the, the, you know, the 18 months and don't get me wrong. I, I still cry like, a couple of days ago, I was in the shower talking to Perry and I started hysterical crying. And it doesn't mean that once we've reached a level of quote unquote acceptance that we, we don't, we can't go back to being sad. And, and if that happens, that's okay. You're not grieving wrong. You're, it, it, grief is not, you know, is not the way I view it anyway. It's not something that, um, you know, where we all start at the same place graduate through the same stages to eventually arrive at the same result. And that's kind of the, the issue that I had with the whole five stages thing, um, because that's not the way that I experienced. Grief is something that we're constantly moving back and forth through. You know, we can find gifts in grief and still also find ourselves in pain. And all that's just part of the process. But just know that you have to be willing to look for the gifts to be able to find them. Because if you're constantly focused on, I'm depressed, I'm, I feel guilt, I feel shame, all those are just self-focused. All those, all those feelings are just about you. And it's almost, it's really almost selfish in a way for you to constantly be thinking about yourself, you know, to, to think about whether it's, whether you lost somebody, whether you lost a job, whether you lost a dream, you know, did there, there think about the lessons that you can learn from that. There is a lesson there. And really you have to know that it's, I know this sounds cliche, but I believe this hundred percent that it doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So be looking for it because there's something better out there for you. So if you lost a job, you lost your dream, you lost a girl or, or a loved one, you know, whether that be male or female, just believe that that happened for you and now be looking out for that better thing that's going to replace it. Yes, exactly. It's exactly what I teach. It is so cool to hear you share these experiences because it's exactly what I try to help people understand is see things as a gift and that grief isn't just a one and done, you know, oh, I grieved it. I'm, I've moved on. No, you don't. You go back. And my dad died 33 years ago, and sometimes I'll share the story and cry still, you know, and, and sometimes I won't. I won't even cry at all, and it's no big deal. It's just a story to tell. So it just is 
ebbs and flows and we got to go with it. It's the roller coaster of life, but it's not a one and done and don't beat yourself up. And please don't marinate in that, that selfishness. Like you said, I loved how you shared that because it really is being selfish when you're going to stay stuck there and feeling that shame and guilt for something that totally. isn't, isn't true and check uh, your thoughts, check your actions and change. It's, it's exactly right. I mean, so because I've shared my story now for a couple of years and been, you know, whether it just be at a, at a gathering or on the TEDx stage or on another stage, people will come up to me and share their story. Um, and, you know, one of the questions I often hear, especially in the beginning, if something just happened is why, right? Why did this happen? Why me? And although why is a valid question and one that should be asked for a, for a season, it wasn't, it wasn't until I started asking, what can I do about it now that things began to change? So, you know, it, you, if maybe there is a reason, there is a reason why um, it, you should think about why, because maybe there is a reason there and maybe it's something that you need to own. Maybe it's something that you missed and you just didn't realize, or maybe you made a mistake. You know, at least you know to avoid that mistake again. Um, but it's not until you start asking, well, what can I do about it now that you really figure out what you're made of and what, where, where there could be good that can come from it. Mm. Yes, that is so true. I always say I'm a recovering why me -er because I always <laughs> say, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why? Why me? And I get it. And, and sometimes you couldn't answer the why there wasn't every, it just is life and it just happens. And uh, so finally one day I just thought, well, why not? me you know it's that whole thing about life isn't fair and we wouldn't want it to be because if life was fair what happened to you would now have to happen to me and what's happened to me would now have to happen to you and so it's easier now to just think of instead of why me it's like well why not i'm i'm experiencing life too and then we should question why me when things are really good when we're having a beautiful moment and when we're having an uplifting inspiring wonderful moment and we should go why me why am I experiencing this? Mm -hmm. Just enjoy it. I love that. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. That's a great point. I think sometimes we take those those great experiences for granted without even really trying to lean in and figure out. You know, I think you know, well, most of us are designed to ask why me when something bad happens, not yeah. when something good happens. Yeah. So I love that. That's definitely something I'll write down yeah it's hard to remember it's hard to remember sometimes we think we're all entitled to the good times all the time and so we don't question why me why am i having this beautiful good time right now and it's yeah. life it's we're very blessed and we should take it a moment and relish in it and enjoy it just like this has been wonderful to talk to you and i appreciate it so much you've really brought a lot of light and understanding to my life today and i just appreciate you so thank you Thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and getting the chance to meet you today. And, um, you know, is that if somebody's out there who is hurting um, and maybe at that point wondering, you know, I've been, I've been feeling this way for a while, I'd like to move on. Just know that, you know, healing doesn't mean forgetting, right? It doesn't mean that just because you decide to heal, doesn't mean that you decide to forget that person or that that you don't love them anymore. Um, just, I would say, you know, what would that person want you to be doing? How would they want you to react and honor them in that way?
Um, so hopefully that message resonates with maybe one person that's listening or a couple people. I don't know why I felt um, led to say that, but yeah, Thank I you. think the only thing I think people could really do for somebody who's in that type of stage and that grieving stage is just be there, Yeah, you know, yeah. just show up, just, just be listen. there and Exactly. Don't try to fix it. Don't don't say any of the stupid things like, you know, he's in a better place and all that stuff. It's like, it's so, it's so hard, you know, for people, I think to, because you want to help. It's, it's, it's not in our nature to let people sit in their grief, right? We want to help them get through it. There's I mean, I've had people saying, you can say or do when someone's grieving. Nothing. There's nothing. You can say. Nothing you There's can nothing. say that they'll all of a sudden just snap out of it and go, oh, well, I didn't think of that. Well, everything's fine now. There's nothing you can say. So just be quiet. Just sit with them. That's all and, you, you know, do. people have asked me, like, they'll text me like, well, this just, my friend just lost this person. Like, what do I say? So because so many people have asked me that, the, the best thing I've come up with so far is just something along the lines of is, I am so sorry for your loss. I know that there are no words. Just know that I love you and I'm here for you for anything that you need. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. Because there's, nothing else you can nothing else. do or say you know there's yeah. there's there is nothing but just being there but you know and people they, they want to make it better and they say stupid things you know like everything happens for a reason like there's so many but they don't know what they're doing you know people don't know what they're doing so yeah yeah and the, i always tell people don't say the words at least if you're ever talking to someone that's lost a loved one never start a sentence well at least because yeah. anything you say after that is not what they need to hear there's nothing good yes. you say after the words, at least. So no, that's be quiet. very true. I remember when I lost my grandma, who was just like my mom, my best friend, my idol, my person. And, uh, you know, there's no words and nobody could really say or do anything. But one lady I'll never forget. She wasn't even that close of a friend. She's a neighbor and came over and just said, tell me about your grandma. I never met her. Tell me about her. Mm. Oh, I'll never forget yeah. that. That's, that's awesome. That's what you want to do, which everybody avoids, right? Nobody would come up to you and say, tell me about your son that just died because they think you're going to cry and be sad and they don't want to make you sad. But really, that's what you want to do. You want to talk about your sweet boy. The worst thing you could do is say nothing. Right. It's so much, it's so much more. There are still people who have, I've been around several times and they've never even said, man, I'm sorry. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry that you had to go through that. it's like, I forgive them. You know, I forgive them because it's too hard for them. They're too scared, whatever it might be, but it hurts more that they didn't even say, I'm sorry. Right. I I never wanted to share this with my, my new wife. I've been married like three and a half years and uh, going on four years. And and during the, the milestone days, his birthday, the date that he went missing, she'd always ask me, what do you want to do today? And you know, I know she was asking, can I spend the day with you? Can I help you? Can I be there for you? And I always just said, I'm going to go be, do my own thing. You know, I'm going to go do my own thing. And I would go find somewhere near the ocean. I would sit there and I would just cry. I would cry my eyes out. I didn't want her to see me cry. I didn't want her to see me ugly cry, you know. Um, but this past year would have been my son's 21st birthday. And I decided to do something different. So my wife and I went to a local restaurant and we toasted Perry and we, you know, she actually asked me, 
some funny things like what the story is about Perry. And we both, I started crying and she started crying with me. She didn't try to fix it. She just sat there. She held my hand. She sat next to me. She cried with me. And I, and to any, any man out there who's lost somebody, if there's somebody who loves you that you trust, and you know that they want to spend that time with you and you've been pushing them out, because you're afraid that you don't want to let them see you cry, try something different. Try something different because that brought to me another level of peace and the ability to be closer with her also, you know, instead of just holding it all in, you know, and the more that I talked about it and now I feel so grateful. I feel like I've done myself and her a disservice by pushing her out. And, and from this point forward, I'll never do that again. Wow, what a lesson learned. But our yeah. loved ones do really care and they want to support us and be there for us. And we just yeah. are the ones that push them away. So we need to open up and oh, I love that. What a yeah. great reminder. You're so great. So oh, thank it's you. It's just been beautiful timing. I just needed this reminder and uh, I just really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you very much. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. At funerals, because I've been to many now where people have lost a child, we have a tendency as a culture to gather around the mother. And I totally understand that. And I appreciate that. And I understand why we do that. Dad generally wants to be strong for his wife and be strong for the kids and be strong for the family. And oftentimes just gets overlooked. And we'll have a tendency to push down the grief and push it away and run from it. Um, so, you know, I always, I have a heart, I have a heart to help men, especially going through grief because we don't generally are not very good at it. Well, and it like you said, it's gotta be hard for dad who needs to be stoic and there for his family, for his wife and his yeah. other children. And for all yeah. those loved ones that are grieving, dad has to be the solid one. It's just like that unknown expectation and pressure on dad. And that's, that's hard. I don't know how you guys do it. You have to get it out there. You must get it out. I mean, the analogy that I, that I use is often like guys have a tendency to hold it like a beach ball underwater. You know, you could do that for a certain amount of time. It's not difficult to hold the ball underwater, but eventually it's going to find its way out and it's going to make its way to the surface. And the harder and further you push it down, the faster and harder it comes up. And sometimes it just smacks you right in the face. And you're, you're not going to outrun the grief. You're not going to outsmart it. You're not going to outflank it. It's going to catch up to you. So the men need a way to be able to face these things. I do have a website, it's philcohen.com, just my name. Um, if anybody out there just wants to have a conversation, I'm not charging for any of this. It's just, um, I've learned some things over the last seven years on how to deal with grief and some tips and tricks and strategies and ways to think about things. So if anybody feels the need, please feel free to reach out to me and um, I'd be happy to help. What a gift. Thank you for doing that. That's beautiful. Yeah, my pleasure. I have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode. 
because no one is alone at the lemonade stand. <laughs>